Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell, laughing in the face of motherhood. Today I am talking to Rashida Dinehart. She's the co-host of the Grieving Mamas Club podcast, which provides community for anyone on the wild ride of motherhood while also navigating their grief journey. She is also the creator of Mona and Me, a blog exploring the high highs and low lows of Rashida's life as a motherless mom. Rashida is a marketing strategist and a mother of two. She and her family live in St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome, Rashida. Hello. That intro made me feel like a powerhouse. I like it. You know, we love a big intro. So you talk about a lot of different things in your work, but kind of the center of your work is this idea of grief and loss. And that story centers around your own loss of your mom, Mona, when you were 15. So yep. tell us what brought you into this work and, and the, your sort of story of origin. Sure. Yeah. It's a little bit of a, a long time coming kind of story. So I lost my mom when I was 15, which is a little bit over 16 years ago. And essentially after I lost her, so I was a sophomore in college and I lost her like randomly, I should say. She had a heart attack. So it was definitely a surprise. And I did what I have now through therapy come to find out is like my default. So I immediately started doing things, anything to keep me from feeling essentially. So I did, I went in high school, I then had to do all the things I needed to do to get to college. Once I got to college, I was like, okay, what are all the things I need to do to A of all continue to pay for college because I was paying for it myself. And what do I do? Like, what do you do after that? What are you in college for to get a job? So once I landed my first job outside of college, I essentially ran out of things to do. So here I am seven years removed from having lost my mom. And all of a sudden, I'm angry. So, so darn angry. And mm. I kept telling myself, you should be over it by now. Ha ha ha. As I have come to... <laughs> right. Because the years have passed. That's right. Like it's... Well, it was a long time ago. But right. In those ensuing years, you haven't been processing the grief. You've been go, go, going. Correct. Yes. Just going, which I mean, I'm 32 years old now and that's still my default. And I still have to be like, okay, hang on now. Yes. Like feel these feels. So here I am, 22 angry at the loss of my mom and all that I've had to do without her. And it wasn't until then that I was like, eh, 
I think I need help. Like, I think this is something I need help processing my way through. So I started taking Zoloft right around that time. And then after a while, I was like, this still isn't doing what I needed to do. Like I needed to legitimately work through the loss. So I started therapy shortly after that and really haven't stopped. And so you start therapy. And I think this is an interesting... I lost my mom four years ago. And so I was really an adult. I mean, my mom was older and we had had a very long life together and a good, strong relationship. And so... I think it's a a bit of a different portrait of grief, obviously, than losing your mom. I was in my 40s versus 15. But when you start therapy, what are you working at at that point? Like, what is this loss that happened a long time ago, I think is interesting to me as a phenomenon. Yeah, two things. Would love to back up and say, it doesn't matter when you lost your mom, Margaret. You are still allowed to be like, I don't know if it is better or worse that you lost your mom in your 40s. In some ways, I would say worse because you lived most of your life with her. Yes. You had so much time together. Yeah. Yes. You had so much time. And so I like, I think a loss is a loss no matter when it is in your life and you deserve to feel your feels no matter when it is. I appreciate that. You're right. Yes. So for me, having lost her and then going so many years without processing the grief in therapy, I did just that. I processed what had happened to me, I had a lot of anger, just straight anger at my mom, anger at myself. I did a lot of blaming of myself. Like maybe I should have been there to stop what? I don't know. I was 15. So I mean, what are you when you're 15? Very self-involved in yourself. So yeah, so I did a lot of like work through that. And I knew then, well, I should say I Quasi knew I wanted to be a mom. My husband, I was a little bit ambivalent about children, but my husband was like, no, yeah, I definitely want kids. And so I knew that was going to be a trigger for me, becoming a mom without my mom. So I needed to work through that in therapy too. We've talked a lot about that. And I think it's interesting. Some of the challenge of what goes on when we have children, it brings up two different challenges. One you see in yourself, you see their relationship with you and that reflects your relationship with your mom. So you're reprocessing the grief of your mom Mm -hmm. and also you're feeling a new grief for what your mom would have seen if she had been here and been with them. And so it's very layered. And I think Amy and I are both Irish Catholic from a kind of tradition of like, well, we accept things and we move, you know, we don't wallow. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting thing. Like, what is the worth? And I know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Mm-hmm. In going back and revisiting this kind of trauma, when like you are busy, you're working, you're going to college, you're getting stuff done, you're doing the things I'm sure your mom would have wanted you to do in some ways and succeeding. Mm-hmm. And why then pause and go back and say, let's think about this really hard thing? Sure. No, I love that question. That's a deep one. I mean, I kind of get it. I'm asking. I think I kind of know. But tell me anyway. Yeah. So a popular therapist saying is the only way to is through. So you have to feel your feels and heal from them before you can 
even expect to move on. And I'm not a therapist. I just want to say, not a licensed therapist. <laughs> full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure. Just love therapy. Um, <laughs> I think it's for everyone. But I, in therapy, you learn a lot of coping skills in how to cope. Like, so it's not like I quote unquote got over the loss of my mom in therapy. Right. However, I have learned. A of all what my triggers are and how to avoid them or cope through them. And it's allowed me to be, I think without therapy, I wouldn't be the mom and wife that I am because I had to work through also some like real, I wouldn't call them trust issues, but it took me a long time after my mom passed away to let other people back in because once mm-hmm. you've lost somebody at that age, you live in fear that you are going to lose somebody of that magnitude again. So yeah. Now, as a young person, high school, college, as I said, you're maybe from the outside doing all the right things. But how is this manifesting in negative ways at those ages in terms of this feeling of like, okay, you're checking a lot of boxes, but what's not right about that? I was depressed. I was absolutely depressed. And it wasn't until I was done out of to-dos that it hit me. Like I would obviously cried and missed my mom plenty during those seven years before I started therapy. But I, A of all, didn't have the coping skills to cope with it. And B of all, I love this idea that grief isn't linear, which is a big... It's not... Cannot copyright that. (laughs) No, it's been said before, but it's so... True. Yes. Yes. And so I don't think I even learned that as a an idea, a concept until I started therapy. And then only then was I starting to allow myself to just feel my feels because you get to a certain point, seven years removed that you're like, I shouldn't be crying over this anymore. Right. I have to, there's, we think there's a door and then through that door is the finish line. We think there's a tape at the end of the race and it's like, I am done with this experience. And that's... Mm-hmm. Obviously not how it works at all. (laughs) We wish. It's not. I really do. Yeah. So on the podcast, my co-host and I, she recently lost her mom Mm -hmm. about a year and a half ago. And so we do a lot of talking about how, yes, grief isn't linear and it's a lifelong journey. And I feel terrible when I tell her that because that makes it sound like if you are fresh out of a loss, that makes it sound like you are going to be... It never gets better. Right. Yes. And that's not the case. And I hope that through the work that I'm doing, that people are understanding that, yes, feel your feels. When you have triggers, work through them. Miss your people like crazy if you've lost somebody and that's the grief you're dealing with, but also find joy. Yes, there's something about that. Let's take a break. I want to touch on something about that after this break. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trust 
Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong. That's why Hyawas created the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need, and yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies. And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. We're talking to Rashida Dinehart, who is the co-host of the Grieving Mamas Club podcast. And I think this idea of finding joy, especially as moms ourselves. So my mom died, Mm -hmm. was ill and died when I had kids who were, you know, I'm going to say five, seven and nine. And so I felt sometimes like I'm wearing one face for the kids and then dealing with my stuff sort of separately, which let me be clear. I think sometimes there's a place for that. I don't think that we need to like put all of our grief on our kids and they don't necessarily need to like be part of every moment of what we're processing. It's not appropriate for them. For sure. That's not fair to them. I think that's right. But it is kind of difficult this parallel tracks it seems to me like your story as a young person you were running two different parallel tracks you were running this very functional track and then there was another track where this kind of loss was just getting buried down and doing some damage and i think that as moms we spend a lot of time in that mode which is like i got to keep going for my kids so whatever my internal life is mm-hmm. is just going to i'm just going to every night throw some dirt on top of it and hope that it's you know either hope that it's there to deal with tomorrow or just hope that it's never there to deal with again. Yeah, that it never comes back up. But that's not the case with grief, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's you can, not. You can throw as much on there as you want and you are, yeah, it's still going to find its way up. So let's talk about the stages of grieving because I know you talk about that on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. What are the stages of grieving? So we actually just did a podcast episode on this. And what we have found that is that there are two, I guess, styles maybe of the stages of grief. So there's either five or seven. The five stages of grief is a little bit of an older model. I believe it was coined in the 50s or 60s. So those five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. What Kara and I have found in our research through the podcast and just going through 
grief processes ourselves is that there's a model that has seven stages and we feel like these seven stages I guess work a little bit closer to our grief journeys. I don't want to talk, I don't want to speak to anybody's grief journeys, but the seven just seem a little bit more all encompassing. Okay. One is shock and denial. I liked that one. Yes. I liked that one a lot because it was weird to me that in the five, shock was missing. And I think it could be wrapped up in denial, but I think there are some. I struggled with denial a bit because, like, when my mom died, she died. There was no time for me to be in a denial state. Two is pain and guilt. Love that one as well. It's weird to say I love that for grief, but... (laughs) I love pain and guilt, but I know what you mean. It it captures something. Yes. Yes. And that seemed to be missing from the five as well. And then three is actually putting anger and bargaining together. Also love that because when you, you are angry, the feeling is anger, the action is bargaining, and you're doing it because you're angry. Mm -hmm. Four is depression, reflection, loneliness which sounds as sad as it is. I like loneliness being in there too. Yeah, me too. And then this is where I really like it. So five is called the upward turn. So this is where you start to adjust to your new life without your loved one. You still could be experiencing symptoms of depression and things like that. But this is like the bottom of the hill and you're slowly starting to bring yourself back up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Six... Because I love therapy. This is also a favorite. I'm like, these last <laughs> ones are my favorite. You. Yeah. Six is reconstruction and working through. So this is when you would start to go through therapy. For some of us, this happens right away. My co-host Kara like immediately was like, nope, going to therapy. For some of us like me, this is seven years later, you start to enter right. this stage. So yeah, this is where you start to figure out how you're going to get through and live this life without the person you've lost. And then also really like this one. Seven is acceptance and hope. So ending the five stages with just acceptance seems very sad. Like it seems very like, well, that's it. Like she died and I, that's it. Acceptance and hope makes me feel hopeful. Like it makes you feel lifted. And one thing I've always thought about the stages of grief, it's a very good. I feel like the steps are very good in terms of things that most people experience during grief. But the idea that you check things off and head towards the tape at the end is always problematic because I do think that you wave through these things again and again Mm -hmm. and that you may have moments. I was recently telling a story on the podcast that when I lost my mom, she had been ill and there was a little bit of a sense of relief and acceptance around her death. Like, oh, okay. Like I saw it coming. Here it is. Mm -hmm. And that for me, I feel like because that acceptance came earlier in this way that things got a little jumbled and that I recently had an experience where I lost a ring of my mom's. I found it. Thank God. I'm wearing one of mine today. One of my mom's today. In the several hours that I thought I had lost it, I had been at an event and I could picture I was helping pull up the tablecloths and I was like, it came off. It's in one of the tables. It's gone forever. I could picture what had happened. Mm -hmm. I was so sure it was gone. And I had like a two hour, unbelievable, like rending of the garments, animalistic crying, shouting at the heavens, like mm-hmm. purge that I never had when my mom actually died. And this is three and a half, four years later. 
And mm-hmm. I think in a way, like, yes, that was, quote unquote, bottled up, probably, you know, a lot of those feelings. Mm-hmm. But also, in a way, I was kind of thankful for the experience of losing that ring. I was like, I really needed that kind of exorcism of that experience. That, <laughs> yeah, that release. Yeah. And to like tap in and allow myself to feel that deep grief that I don't think I was just bearing. It's not that simple. It's that this death was contextually understandable and still extremely painful. But there's no world in which I would have been rending my garments at the funeral. I didn't feel that way at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that like the grief journey is such a better metaphor because it is kind of a journey in terms of It's not like, oh, I'm on step four. Next comes step five. I feel like I went step one, step five, step seven, step two, you know, and that Mm -hmm. you kind of have to allow for this happening in that way. Yeah, yeah. And truly what you went through was anticipatory grief. So in as you were knowing that you were going to lose your mom, you kind of went through like a pre grief stages or whatever. So it's like you've had two grief journeys almost like the one in which you were waiting and then the one and now of which your mom is gone. Yes. So yeah, of course you would feel all kinds of feels because it was a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's where I find the markers of the stages of grief the most useful in that way. Like, oh, that's right. This mm-hmm. is part of this. It, to me, it's not a line. It's like a constellation of things that happen. Correct. And that certain ones, it's like, you know, those word clouds where like the it shows you like what you tweet or whatever, what words you use most. And sometimes words come to the foreground or the background and they get bigger and smaller. Mm-hmm. I think that for me, that's how I think of it. Like sometimes that hope and acceptance is huge. And then sometimes it recedes a little bit and that bargaining still kind of comes up. It does. I call this stage for me, at least like acceptance high and acceptance low. Yes. Good. So I have gotten to a space where I have accepted my mom is gone that she's I have grandchildren. It's like you said, I am mourning for I have her grandchildren, but it's like I am mourning for her and for her. Like she is not here to see her beautiful grandbabies. And I know she would have loved and loved on them and all of those things. And so I have accepted that she's gone. But that doesn't mean that I don't have bad days or that I don't have triggers that like come out of nowhere. My entire pregnancy with my daughter, who is my second born, was actually one (laughs) nine month long trigger. Like for nine months, I think I was just unprepared of what it would mean to have a daughter without my mom. And so I had, again, grief isn't linear. I'd done all the work. I'd done, well, all the work, quote unquote. I had gone to therapy. I'd worked through like what it meant to be a mom without a mom. I had my son. I was doing great. And then I had my, or found out I was having a girl and I was like, oh my God. I miss my mom. Yes. Yeah. There's something different about the level of this experience. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Rashida Dinehart. We're going to be right back after this break. Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them 
can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I want to pick up on what you were talking about. We've talked a lot about ACEs childhoods. You know this term. It's um, people who have experienced deep trauma within their childhood. Oh, yes. I've listened to that episode. Damage that, you know, occurred in their environment or through their parents. And that I think... It's very interesting to me. I know people whose parents have left when they were children and they were like, oh, I'm, I got it. You know, I've worked my way through that. Let's say their parent left when they were four. Suddenly their child turns four and they have a horrible, it's like they fall through a rotten floorboard into like the darkest depths of that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. somehow seeing your own children it puts the context of that. And I think having a daughter and having lost your mom as a daughter, it puts a whole, it pulls that context so close to you that you're starting the grieving process. Maybe not again, but your word cloud is really changing. Like that grief is coming so big and the acceptance is receding. Yes. Well, and also throw in a pandemic because I was of the lucky moms who (laughs) were very pregnant when the pandemic rang out. So yes, I, oh yeah, a lot of grief going on, which Side note, I love now as a time to talk about grief because collectively we've all gone through a grief journey. So like now is the time for people to stop making grief seem like it's a taboo thing to talk about because we've all lost a way of life that we were living prior to the pandemic. And for some people who've already gone through a grief journey or who are on a grief journey are like, yeah, yep, mm -hmm, welcome. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about people helping other people through their grief journey. This is something that I think poor people, they get a lot of things wrong. They try really hard. 
I know when my husband lost his father, I know when I lost my mom, people don't, it's a strange thing. People are very afraid to bring it up. People say things like, well, I didn't want to remind you, Mm -hmm. you know, that your mom died. It's like, no, you didn't have to worry about that. It was already front of mind for me. Yes, yes, yes. What do people get wrong about trying to help other people through their grief? And I want to be careful of this because I'm always a little bit, I don't always love the story of like, these idiots said stupid things. When my husband's father passed away, I know his stepmom said something that always continues to move me, which is, she said, I'm just going to try to hear I love you no matter what people say. Like, as long as people are walking up to me and saying anything, I'm going to try to hear I love you. And people said unbelievably bad stuff, you know, wrong stuff, mm-hmm. stuff that really hurt more than helping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do want to put in people's path that I think that most people who are trying to reach out to you around your grief are trying to be helpful. Yes, yes. I love that you said that because nobody is going out of their way to say something to you to hurt your feelings. A lot of times they're projecting their own thoughts and fears onto you when they're saying things. So for some people, I don't love when people say, well, or when they said, well, she's in a better place. Sure, but I thought I was a fine place. Like, yeah, I was a pretty good place. And also, I'm in a much worse place. So, you know. Correct. Yes, yes. And so I think, but if you flip it, that person needs to believe that. Yes. So that person needs to believe that whoever has been, who has lost, and if they meant something to them, they need to understand that she's in a better place. Another one, I again, that is coming from a good space, but is not always... Mm, the best is God needed her more. Right. Okay. That has a lot of meetings. <laughs> like, yeah. A lot like of those. Okay. Sure. Like when I was 15, I'm. <laughs> no, you probably needed her a lot. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, you mean to tell me God needed my mom more than me? No way. Right. No way. Dude can have, he's got like Abe Lincoln up there. He's got. <laughs> Chat with Gandhi for a while. We've got stuff to do down here. Yes. Yes. Let me keep her. Yes. So yes, those are, and again, like you said, I truly believe no one is meaning to rip my heart out when they say those things, but it's hard to know since grief is, I've heard this saying before and I love it. Grief is a universal thing that is different for each of us. So it is tough when everybody processes grief in their own way. What's good for some person might not be great for another. I love talking about my mom. Mm -hmm. It's upon, upon meeting me. Definitely when I start a new job or anything like that, I tend to try to work it in conversation. It sounds so weird. Like I just like, hello, I'm Rashida. My mom died. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. But I like to put it out there. So for a couple of things, one, if I am ever triggered by something or sad by something, you can assume it's that. So, you know, it also stops any awkward conversation like, Hey, what are you doing for your mom for Mother's Day? Right. Well, my mom, and then it's an awkward like situation that way too. So that's how I like to talk about my mom. But I know some people who are like, mm, I'd rather not talk about it that much. Right. It's hard. There's no one size fits all because I will hear people say and feel for myself sometimes like that thing of, well, I didn't want to remind you of this terrible thing that happens. It's like, well, it's just so much weirder that you won't say anything about what's going on with me. It is. But then I also do understand that 
it is awkward and it kind of, I understand for other people that may not be the role. So it's not one of those things you can put hard and fast rules around. Mm -hmm. I want to turn just quickly towards this identity that so many people have of motherless daughters as they're raising their kids. Mm -hmm. How do you see that sort of definition and role changing over time? Like, does that fade into the word cloud at a certain point where like, you're now, what did you say? Higher, lower, like your mother ascending, motherless daughter descending at a certain point. Like, mm-hmm. because I think that motherless daughter is a role that has defined us to a certain point. Mm-hmm. But then I wonder if there's a realm for that to become a smaller part of our identity as we become mothers and we move into a new phase of our lives mm-hmm. without losing the gifts that our moms gave us. Sure. I think I like to refer to myself as a motherless mom mm. more than I do a motherless daughter. And I, there's probably no rhyme or reason to that. No, I think it does make sense though. Cause your primary identity is not daughter anymore. It's mother. Correct. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yes. And it's the way I move about my life. I mean, I'm moving about my life in one or two ways. I am at times a mom, but I'm a motherless mom, you know, like the two things that have to the, to date, very much defined me are the loss of my mom and becoming a mom. So I prefer motherless mom. Makes sense. It kind of it gives a quick snapshot of where I am in my life. I am a motherless daughter, of course, but I was a motherless daughter when I lost my mom. And moving into this new space of motherhood has put me on a different grief journey that I hadn't anticipated. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect answer to it. I think that is what's happening is that your identity continues to shift and grow. Mm -hmm. The absolutes and the realities of your life stay the same, but they take on a little bit of a different role in your overall story, which makes sense to me because Mm -hmm. I think that as we do synthesize our losses and find a place for this grief to kind of settle into our lives. Mm -hmm. But it's not maybe the center of our story anymore. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. And it's, yeah, definitely not. Well, I mean, it's slightly the center of my story since I've got a whole podcast and whatnot. (laughs) Well, of your podcast story, for sure. But yes, it no longer controls all of who I am. There's another, full of metaphors today, sorry. I love love a metaphor on What Fresh Hell. Believe me, we're metaphor heavy here. Perfect. So my favorite grief metaphor is that when you first lose somebody, it's like waves. So the waves keep crashing and crashing and crashing. And you can't Mm. catch your breath because you're in survival mode, really, in that first year or however long it takes you. But as time goes on, the waves never stop. And they're never less tragic, I guess I should say, or less crashy, but they come less frequent. So in between your waves, I like to... This is the part where I added my own little thing in. I like to say in between the waves is when you get a chance to like stop and feel the sunshine. Because Mm -hmm. when those waves keep crashing on you in the beginning, you don't have time. You can barely breathe. Like You don't have time to see the sun. But as your grief journey moves on, you learn to find those little pockets of joy in between those waves. And they're still going to come. I'm still, I'm 16 years removed from losing my mom. And my daughter, her personality is actually becoming that of my mom. (laughs) So my mom was a sassy black woman, like sassy. And my daughter, like she might cut you. She might not. I don't know. (laughs) 
Hard to predict. Like, hard to predict, yes. But she's like, her little sassy personality is already coming out. And I find like a bittersweet joy in that. Like, I find like it's adorable to me because I'm like, oh my gosh, you're just your angel grandma. But then I'm also like, oh, but I miss my mom. So those are some of those waves crashing, but some of that sunshine being felt. Yeah. And it takes us to the end of our steps, that acceptance and hope that that's hopefully where you spend the most time Mm -hmm. with this idea of like this acceptance of the loss, this hope for like seeing your daughter who's so much like your mom. And that's, I think, the best that we're all heading for in these kind of journeys. It is. Rashida, tell us where we can find your blog, your podcast and hear more of your wisdom. This was such a great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. So you can um, listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. I love saying that. Wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. The Grieving Mamas Club. You can find me at my blog at monaandme.com or you can follow me on Instagram at rashida.dinehart. Awesome. And we will put links to all of that, including Rashida's recent episode about the stages of grief in the show notes for this episode. Rashida, thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.